Hey, Michael, how you doing? I'm doing well. So, Coleman, Michael uh, Coleman. So uh, for if you're tuning in, the reason why I um, am doing this is because uh, Soundworks Collection unofficially, officially had a 10-year anniversary. I don't know when. <laughs> Sometime this year. <laughs> <laughs> it had a 10-year anniversary, and I thought it would be fun to, to sit down with one of my good friends and close collaborators, Michael Tucker, who uh, I grew up with and went to high school with and is responsible for Soundworks Collection. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying it's your, your responsible because you said yes when I had <laughs> the idea of... I don't know about all that, but... All right, well... I helped. You helped. I helped in the beginning. So if like a little context, basically, let's go back to... 2007, um, both of us were living in the Bay Area. I had um, just gone out of college and I think I was trying to figure out, I had a degree in sound engineering and I, I had a background in filmmaking, as did you. Were you mm -hmm. still at USC? Or, yeah. Uh, UCSC. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. sorry. Uh, yeah, 2007, because I, I graduated 2008. But yeah, I think that's when I started working with you. Well, we were working together a long time before then this is true i feel like that's when you started paying me <laughs> i started paying you probably maybe around that time yeah um so 2007 i guess um i was in emeryville in the east bay in northern california and mix magazine was also um their office was, was in emeryville um i i had been working with them since probably 2001 2002 when i was in college and um and how'd you get connected with them they they did the Tech Awards, which was like this. I mean, it's not the NAM. The Tech Awards are now part of the NAM show. And um, at the time, the Tech Awards were like the standalone award show for recording music and live sound. And I got brought on because I was a student to help with the video production. And so I got I got hired by the magazine to help shoot that or whatever. So I kind of got, got thrown into this thing like now I'm working for a magazine, which at the time was like, I, I think magazines aren't dying yet. <laughs> right, that's before we knew. <laughs> yeah, it, it felt good. I mean, magazines were still very much a thing and and I felt like um, I was really excited just about doing, because the big, I guess, milestone was 2005 was YouTube. If you can oh, right. remember back. Yeah, <laughs> Before the empire. <laughs> 2005 was YouTube and uh, so, 2007 to me was like two years after YouTube, Vimeo had also come out. And I, I attracted to Vimeo because they supported HD before YouTube. Right. Which is a big thing. Right. And we were shooting standard def videos. It's so painful to go back and watch some of those where it's like, <laughs> where's the resolution? How were we okay with this at all? So 2007 was like two years. Like I, I, I had done a bunch of projects for, you know, a bunch of Bay Area clients. And I think um, Tom Kenny, the editor of Mix Magazine, had kind of proposed to me, and maybe I proposed to him even, like, I would like to do some videos for the magazine beyond, I think, like, we had done, like, a Snow Patrol one at oh, Bill Graham right. Civic, and there were maybe a few other ones that were just music-related, but they weren't specific to, like, sound for film or post-production, things that I was really gravitating towards, and so... Um, we just started this thing called Mix Sound for Film Profile, which is a terrible name for <laughs> what it turned into. But it was basically, um, it, it was just video profiles at Skywalker Sound because Skywalker, you know, was in the backyard of 
the Bay Area. And um, I, I think just looking back at some of the early, early first ones, and you, they're on the website. If you go to Soundworks Collection, in the video tab, you can go back to 2007 and see that one of the first ones, which was with um, Gary Rizzo in 2007 doing The Sound of Sicko, um, Michael Moore's film. Mm-hmm. And it, like, previously, like, I had never really done interviews except for that project that we did for Lexus. Oh, there right. Was a, <laughs> there was a, basically a, a web video. Yeah, we, we learned a lot. And uh, basically, we were hired by Lexus to do, like, this interview profile series where you'd sit someone down you'd light them you'd interview them and then shoot a bunch of b-roll make a video and it it was like the you know a three to four five minute web video Mm -hmm. and that was like the beginning of us understanding what web video was right little did we know how many times we do that exact same thing over and over hundreds and hundreds yeah yeah so I, i remember like doing the first one and it was really exciting and it was cool because like at the time you'd get access from the studio this is the best part the studio would send you a mini DV tape oh my God. <laughs> of what the uh, the EPK was, of all the, the, the film clips and the trailer. Wow. And so you just have to like capture it off of the mini DV tape? Yeah, you, you, you digitize the mini DV tape. And then you would also, I remember QuickTime had like the trailer sections. Oh, right. Yeah. Would, would, but those were like super, like it was probably lower than standard def right. or whatever I feel was. like they were like 240p. Yeah, yeah, they were probably 240. Yeah. So like, and then you'd go online and you'd find photos on on the websites and that was it. Like, and, and maybe like the soundtrack um, you'd find, which we were, we would do later. So I think like Sicko was the first one. And then soon after that, that was in June. And then a little later in June, um, Ratatouille, Pixar's film came out and that was Randy Tom, which for me, it was like being thrown into like this, like, Going back to Skywalker was crazy for us. Right. I think maybe that was the first interview that I helped shoot. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was Randy Tom. And, and yeah, I just remember, you know, so this is 2007, 2008. I'm like just out of college, basically, if that. And then it's like we're going to Skywalker Ranch and we're going to talk to like Randy Tom and all these people that like have done real things. It was like earth shattering, amazing like a crazy opportunity that was just so much fun and absolutely terrifying. I, I just remember like trying to have a conversation with, with like these sound legends and trying to, and like I had a sound background, I had an engineering background, so I knew enough, but I didn't know anything really about how post-production was really done in the real world. I mean, it was, mm-hmm. I felt like I'd never really been on a big, big mixing stage at the time. I never had walked in and experienced a, lo- a real mix session, like with people working and understanding that workflow. I mean, it was Pro Tools, so it was like that was familiar. So mm-hmm. like it wasn't completely foreign. But I just remember like going in and like I'm just looking at this, this video here, like the Ratatouille video. And it's just like it's so basic. It's just a talking head interview with some B-roll shots and some still photos with, you know, music soundtrack under it. And. That's kind of, and it was like a three minute piece. And then there you are. Yeah. Camera, Michael Tucker. I took an <laughs> editing credit produced nice. by me, which means nothing. <laughs> and um, that was like, that was one of, you know, w- w- like this opportunity of like, hey, like we have access to talent at Skywalker Sound, which is before we would just like only read about it. Right. I mean, I remember hearing about Skywalker Ranch as a kid and being like, I, hope one day in my life, maybe I get to go there. And so it was so much fun, but it was also like, it's such a cool learning opportunity. Like you were Mm -hmm. saying, like, you know, 
we kind of knew how sound worked and just talking for me, like I knew sound was kind of important, but I didn't really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. And getting to talk to all these people about the process just as a filmmaker was such an educational thing to really appreciate all the work that goes into making sound, but also how important it is to telling the story. So it kind of became this like awesome opportunity just because it was fun, but also to learn a lot about Mm. how sound helps storytelling. And I also think like there was a certain point when it was like, I think we realized that we kind of unlocked this thing that we could like use to kind of rub shoulders with, people and things that we were just like in awe of and i remember when we the next one was uh, the sound of there will be blood this is december of 2007 Mm -hmm. and i remember being like you were i mean we were both a huge paul thomas anderson fans but like yeah just like the idea of going in and talking about something like in a way that you felt like you had the right to Mm -hmm. was new and different (laughs) right well it was like because you know especially when you're young and you want to be a filmmaker like talking to the people that actually make the movie it's it's like this impossible thing of like oh yeah the michael semantic if you want to see <laughs> michael semantic in 2007 movie, yeah. it's it's a time travel capsule machine here it's, yeah but it, it's true it's like suddenly you're one degree two degrees of separation from these things that you're aspiring to and it's it it's very inspiring and super fun and i feel like it was mm. very smart of you to kind of identify this and like the potential of it of mm-hmm sound is super important but like people never talk about sound it's kind of this overlooked thing and so when the opportunity came for these people to talk about what they did they were excited about it and you could get access that you couldn't Mm -hmm. as easily get if you were talking about something else yeah I, i remember just like i was kind of tired of reading text articles or press releases about sound it was like (laughs) well like we it's like we have video now we can go out and capture it we can edit it we can make these little stories um and to me it was like my only rule for sound collection was like it's only video um there's no other way that i want to tell these stories i want to i want to see the people i don't want to um I don't want to really like heavily edit it or like censor anything. I want them to be able to like speak their mind and have an opportunity to reach their audience, which I didn't even realize then. Like now, obviously this so many years later, you look back and you're like, you don't actually realize a small little simple idea that, you know, a conversation that we had and you do it many, many, many times over many years. And, and, it then like you look back and you're like that wasn't even a thing really yeah i mean there were there were definitely web series early youtube and early vimeo like we're not i'm not taking credit (laughs) i'll take credit for that but at least i I could maybe take credit by saying this type of material of talking about sound there wasn't much which to me was like oh my god like the only thing that was even close which i love which is like extra features on dvds Mm -hmm. you know which was like that was the holy grail for all of us growing up right it was like, like how you learned filmmaking yeah yeah and a lot of times it was you would never even see the people you would just hear their voice right It'd be like a director's dialogue track and so much of the time those kind of behind the scenes things were just kind of promo pieces mm-hmm. and like sometimes you have to do that because that's you know part of the deal but what was cool is getting to go and talk to these people and just you know there's even today i think it's kind of hard for people to find to get access to like creators doing the top level work in a lot of fields like you know Mm -hmm. it's a little bit easier like cinematographers and directors people talk to them all the time but to actually go and 
talk to these other people that are doing just as critical work. Mm. There isn't a lot of that. There isn't like that kind of access. And so being able to go and get that access and share it with people was like a big deal. That was really cool. And I remember mm. once I moved to LA, you know, I was making short films and different series and we'd work with different sound people. Mm. And every time I'd mentioned, you know, Soundworks Collection, they'd be like, oh my God, like I love Soundworks Collection. Mm-hmm. It taught me all these things. And I learned, it made me realize I wanted to go to school and learn the sound and yeah. all this stuff. So it was cool seeing the ripple effects of like it inspiring people and kind of teaching them, you know, something where like you can't be what you can't see in mm-hmm. a lot of ways mm-hmm. and being able to see these people doing the work and sharing that with people, I think inspired a lot of sound mixers. Yeah. I mean, that was something that was unseen because I think like when we started this off, it was kind of, it's, it was a selfish thing. Like when you start a project, you do it for yourself and you just, you want to go out and kind of just see what the world is like and not you're not really thinking about you know, what it's going to mean down the road. Like, you know, I, I had no idea, I think maybe how much, like what it would be or what it should be. I, I remember I created like a WordPress website. Like <laughs> uh-huh. I had to figure out WordPress. And the first, I remember looking back at now some of the webs, the different websites, iterations for Soundworks. And it was like the first one was a WordPress. And then I finally had a friend to help with a custom one. And like, I started treating it more of like, oh, this is a thing. And it's not just like videos that I would post on Vimeo. It was funny because like, going back to Vimeo, I liked Vimeo because it was HD. I'm, I'm actually looking at the so the sound of Iron Man one back in 2008 was the first HD, mm-hmm. one of the first HD videos I did. And I just remember like, it was exciting because I put the stuff on Vimeo and like Vimeo was like promoting it. And I was like, right. I was like, what? Like, right. You were featured a lot. Yeah. Which is the crazy part. Of, like they did like a, a few years ago, they went back and they did like the top featured Vimeo staff picks. And I was in the top five and I was like, Damn. Nice. It, not to like to my own horn, but I, I think it, it it was just something that was, I think people were resonating kind of with these stories of like gaining access and it felt personal. And, and um, I mean, that was just kind of like, that was the criteria for Soundworks was like, I just don't want to, I'm not a publicist. I'm mm-hmm. not a writer. I'm not, I don't, I don't I'm not a, a critic. I don't care about any or all of those things really. So um, I think that was the beginning and it was funny because like so the mixed magazine thing went for a little bit um, of of it just being under the umbrella of mixed magazine and then there was like this period in 2009 when you and I kind of like I think what, it, what you know what it was mixed magazine was basically like uh, we don't really have too much money left to like keep paying you to do these web videos and I was like but I love going to Skywalker <laughs> and you know making videos about people that you know I admire and appreciate um but then, like, I kind of had to figure out, like, a plan B, which was, like, well, if I can't keep, if you guys aren't going to keep paying me, and this is why Tom Kenny is the best, I asked him, I'm like, do you think, like, you could give me some names in L.A.? Because I want to, like, broaden it out. Like, L.A. is, you know, Northern California, Southern California, not too far. Um, but he gave me, like, a bunch of names of people. So, like, it was the October-ish of 2009 when um, I think, like, I... I kind of like proposed to you like hey like i'm gonna do this thing and we came up i had this like old document of <laughs> like trying to figure out what soundworks collection should be called and like some some of the names were digital sound collection <laughs> the sound reporter collection cinema sound collection i was like that one a little bit cinema sound collection that, yeah that's a nice second yeah cinema sound profile series because that, that sounds super snappy <laughs> there's one here at soundworks collection mm-hmm. sound master profile series 
That's a, that, a lot of words. That's a lot of words. Sound Arts Profile Collection. It's four different thoughts. Yeah. And I, I, I do remember um, Soundworks Collection, I thought of Criterion Collection. Oh, okay. And I was like, yeah. well, if it works for them, <laughs> it's going to work for Soundworks Collection. Yeah. And then Sound is Sound. And then Works was like, it feels vague enough that it doesn't like limit right it's like vaguely you know technical doing things but right. also not specific enough to like limit it yeah i mean it, it was yeah. a, it was a quick kind of like i think this feels right let's just run with it and then you don't like you say like when you start meeting people and you start talking to them like oh i do this thing called sound Wars collection and they're like oh yeah and you're like wait what right because you're like <laughs> i just made that up how do you know it yeah like the internet's not real so how do you know about this fake thing that i put online <laughs> right yeah yeah that's what it feels like it's like when you run into someone in the real world that knows your internet thing it's like wait a minute that like it makes it real all of a sudden which is was yeah really really fun it's an ongoing struggle of, <laughs> of, of what you're doing is it is it a job is it not a job and yet somehow i think which which we'll get to the evolution of how Sour's collection turned into a wonderful spin out for you. But uh, <laughs> so 2009, we said Sour's collection. I remember I got fo- some phone numbers from a bunch of people. I remember Kim Watt, Warner Brothers. Um, let me see. I think there's some names on here. People I was reaching out to. I don't know. It's just like uh, some of the folks at Walt Disney, at Universal. Um, at the time we were doing Endlessly, we we're doing interviews with Gabe Guy, Alan Murray, the, the sound team for uh, Watchmen. Mm-hmm. which was awesome um zach snyder's film mm-hmm. um doc kane god yeah <laughs> odin uh benitz uh dean zapanic and dave fleur so a bunch of the guys who were at um the Dis- disney studios down in burbank um and we made like a little road trip out of it we had <laughs> our good friends you said it was ryan and i think it was alex? yeah alex Kairos and ryan mcduffie i think we st- crashed on their couch right. for this like three or four like sweep week yeah. that we did of hitting all these studios and I, I just remember feeling so much like like the imposter syndrome was exactly. like yeah, yeah, yeah. super real or it was like do we know what we're doing i don't know that we know what we're doing but like we're all going into here's universal here's disney like yeah. going on to the movie lots for the first time again it's this like you're going into this magical kingdom that you've only like imagined in your dreams and suddenly you're there shooting these interviews and being taken around and all that stuff. And I mean, I've never been on any of those st- studio lots ever. Yeah. I mean, 2009, so, oh my God, do the math. It's 10 years ago, so er, mid-20s, early 20s, early mid-20s. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, how old am I? <laughs> I cannot remember. I think I'm 33. All right. So yeah, 22, 23. All right, I'm 37. This. So early 20s. Yeah, probably. But which was perfect because it was like I, the funny thing was is I remember Tom was like, "Yeah, you can use my name." We called. I didn't call it Soundworks Collection. I said we're from Mix Magazine. Right. Which was like in my mind, I was like, "They don't. It doesn't matter. They're not going to know anyway." Like where this video and the video was still going on Mix Magazine. It was just like I then had like this little side. Right. Side hustle, <laughs> Sours collection. I was like, uh, yeah, we're here for Mix Magazine. We're here to do a video p- feature, which is sounds very like what from the print world. Mm-hmm. A video feature. It's a new thing we're doing, and which wasn't a lie. Wasn't a complete lie. And then um, I remember, yeah, we went in and, and did these the first few videos for Watchmen. It was a, a tour of um, the Universal, Universal, Universal Studios. 
um, facility, which is like a facility tour video. Same thing for Disney, which is amazing, which mm-hmm. is just like... God, that was crazy. Opening every door on the lot and peeking behind every kind of corner. And then, um, yeah, let me look back here and see. So we did that with Iron Man. And, I mean, I'm just skipping ahead here. I'm just trying to see. There were a lot of, like, in 2008, there's still a lot of really exciting projects. So it was the first time I met Ben Burt in 2008 for WALL-E and The Sound of Indiana Jones and The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And then a big one, which which um for us was dark knight mm-hmm. that was insane getting to I, I feel like that that's when it all like started to like click and it was like this is insane that we're getting to talk about like my favorite movies that are coming mm-hmm. out right now um at some point i want to tell the story of the ben burt shoot oh yeah yeah, if, yeah. If, if i'm allowed yeah to. of course it, it, it it's, it's already happened <laughs> we didn't break any rules but we definitely thought like it was a it was a, a fun situation. <laughs> yeah. Well, so okay, because like like we said, this you know early mid twenties. I'm just out of college. Imposter syndrome. We were shooting with like DVXs and like like HVXs, DVXs, HVXs and yeah. not five Ds yet. Right. Yeah. And like the lighting equipment was <laughs> functional. They were uh, like like these like floodlights with umbrellas. Yeah. Were they the Toto lights? The Toto lights. Yeah. yeah the, which they would fire hazards fire hazards yeah yeah um but so i I just remember uh so i feel like this is my my favorite shooting with coleman story where we were going to shoot ben burt he did all the star wars movies like if there's a famous like sound mixer it's him right editor mixer etc um and so just the, the pressure was on and i feel like this was around the time that it was like okay now we're doing it as like sound works like mm-hmm. we gotta prove it and make this happen right. <clears throat> and so we pack up our gear we drive out to skywalker sound it's amazing we're being escorted around by this you know our host person that's kind of also monitoring to make sure we're not doing anything crazy <laughs> right. we get into the mix studio and it's it's always cool walking onto like a mixed stage because it's just like a mini cathedral of filmmaking. <laughs> um, and so we're there and it's like, okay, Ben Bird's going to be here in 30 minutes. Let's get set up. And so we take out our cameras and get the tripods up and get everything ready and set up the lights. And then I believe I was like, where's the power cords for the lights? And he's like, what do you mean? I thought you had them. What do you mean? I thought you had them. Yeah. And so we're looking through the bags and there's no power cords for the lights. Uh, and mixed stages are dark so if you don't have the lights that you brought it's just the worst it's not gonna even at full lights it's still like pitch black right and especially those cameras it was not gonna happen right uh and so i'm panicking because ben burt (laughs) is coming soon we're here at skywalk we have to make a good impression there's like our host person watching and kind of like i think noticing like why are they being a little shifty and they're like whispering Uh, over there yeah and so i just remember (laughs) you turning to me and saying something like distractor i'm like what are you gonna do and you're like don't worry about it and so i go up and i'm like trying to distract this host person and kind of like over her shoulder i see you wandering around the mixed stage right looking behind consoles and like pulling at cords and like glancing at this and I'm like, what are you doing and so eventually she leaves and i run over and i'm like what are you doing and you have these two power cords the two power, in your yeah, hands yeah, right, yeah, yeah. that you've 
taken from it was a it was like a, like the like, monitor cable like right. you know, like the the tra- traditional blocky monitor cable which amazingly is this is the same power cord essentially that these lights that we had so in theory it would plug in but except for except for the like the form of the the plastic or whatever prototype they, they just had to get fancy with the power cable right so like the connectors would work except the there's like, a notch yeah there's a notch that <laughs> needed to be removed from these monitor cables and so you run into the kitchen area take out a little a butter knife a butter knife and you start sawing away at the monitor cable property of the skywalker ranch and i'm just like in complete disbelief that this is happening and i'm like there's no way this is going to work ben Bird's going to be here any moment we're going to be found out everything's terrible yeah and you're sawing away and you're sawing away and then you plug it in and you flip the switch and the lights come on. It comes on. And, and I'm, I'm like, this like, is ridiculous. I, and I remember the believe. whole shoot. I'm just like expecting for it to like <laughs> short out. Right. Just Explode like, in some way. Uh, and that's that, that's basically how I feel every time every time we were doing a shoot. Because it's like you're sitting down with these people who I'm just like, I've looked at your IMDb. I know everything you've worked on. I'm just like enamored by you and your work. And I just want to do the best job I can to capture your story and not like make a scene. And like that was definitely a special occasion. Yeah, it's not the only time that something. No, I feel like that was not. I don't want to say it was usual. Yeah, because I feel like that example was us just like failing to prepare essentially. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like usually it wasn't that. It was just something would go wrong somewhere, and Coleman would be like, "Okay, hang on, I'll be right back," and then somehow come back with right. the solution. So I feel like that also added to my imposter syndrome for a lot of this. I mean that would to summarize my mindset and it it's probably hopefully kind of worn off by now which was like I don't know what I'm doing but if you act like you know what you're doing no one's going to question you and if they don't question you then they won't say no to you and if they don't say no to you then you can keep doing this thing that you <laughs> that you enjoy doing that was that's that's a train of thought yeah and it worked very not very much not my personality right. I was stressed the entire time cuz <laughs> You'd be like promising things and all this stuff, and I'd be like, "How are we going to do that? Can we do that? I don't oh know if we're going to do that." And, and, but we always did. And like, so, so going back to now, Dark Knight, mm-hmm. uh, which actually was a little, bit, little bit before the Ben Bird thing, but it, it, it was like a perfect example of like you start. I started to understand like in the studio system, there's a publicist, and that publicist is the person that can basically connect you with the sound person that's working on the film, that can then get you looped in if the studio is. If we're like, if the studio's on board and you get the approval from the talent, then it's like, like roll out the red carpet. Like, all right, go ahead, do your thing. Like, they don't really, they never asked us, like, you know, what were the questions or what, what are you gonna talk about? Like, they didn't, honestly, most of the publicists, like, I'm so many times on the, the lots, like, like, oh, I've never been on a mixing stage before. I'm like, yeah, me, like, back <laughs> I'm like, me neither. Like, right. This is, this is, yeah, we're in the same boat. But I, I like, I just understood that, like, Obviously, I wanted consistent quality work. It was just like I'm trying to understand like how the best way to tell these stories. I look like like The Dark Knight was only a three and a half four minute video. It's not very long, but it was you know Gary Rizzo, Laura Hirschberg. Um, I this one didn't have. I don't think. Let's see. I don't think it. I don't think at that point it had Richard King yet. No. I don't no. think we did. The first I think yeah. Inception maybe was the first. Richard the first King. time, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. But right, it's a short video, but we talk about lots of like we talk about the voices for both Heath, Heath Ledger's yeah. Joker and Batman and the I forget the name of the sound, but the tone that mm. Christopher Nolan liked, the, mm-hmm. like, the rising tone, yeah, the, right, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was, and I, I feel like what also was happening is like we were, the videos were evolving and kind of mm-hmm. maturing and figuring out what they wanted to be. Like as I was watching them over today, that's a thing I was noticing. Is like the early ones are very simple, and then so simple, yeah. By the time you know I stopped working on it, they were much more involved and kind of telling the story of the movie. Sometimes, but here's the thing: is like I remember, I I I definitely remember this period of time when like I was giving you the edit because I was like, you were so deep in extra features. Mm. and like of just watching and living and, and also the style of cutting was not it was like a sophistication that i never <laughs> had any exposure to with my with my college whatever f- film school audio background but it was like mm. um of like doing things stylistically doing things in the edits that i i didn't equate to like oh this is something i i have done in the past because i hadn't really like it this style of storytelling was so new to me yeah, I mean, I remember. That's very nice of you to say. Yeah, Thank you. Um, you but taught it, me everything. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I feel like this is. I remember being handed the first edit and like, oh my god, there's so much pressure. Mm-hmm. But I, I think this it allowed me to cut my teeth. You know, I I want to make narrative movies and films, and mm-hmm. so I kind of approach it with like, how can I make this feel the most like a movie. But it also needs to be kind of like you said, special featureish, and feature-ish. And mm-hmm. we're talking to these people. How do you incorporate the interviews? What are the best sections? And I just I learned so much from doing these of you know listening to an interview and then yeah. realizing something isn't working. And so maybe actually what he says at the end of the sentence should be the beginning of the sentence. Yeah. And this part should be cut out and. It was, yeah, it was a crazy training ground for editing this kind of essentially educational documentary-ish mm-hmm. content that ended up being extremely useful. I mean, that's how I think, life. I remember when I was pitching it to publicists, I'd, I'd say, I always say like, oh, it's educational. It's there to like share some of the insight and the process. And that's still kind of like what, how I describe it. But I think early on it was so educational or it was focused on educational because it was educational to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like... right. Yeah, there's which, that word. Yeah. Which I think is always important if you're making educational content. Like it should be something you want to learn about because that passion is going to, you know, seep through into the final product. Yeah. I'm mean, just looking at some of the other, some like the big kind of milestones early on. One of them was the sound of the of where the wild things are, which mm-hmm. was Ren Kleiss was the sound supervisor, sound re- recording mixer on that. And one of the, one of the other ones that um, I'd forgotten about back in, this is right. December 2009 was The Sound of Transformers 2, <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen. Oh, yeah. That was a big deal. Which was a, which was a huge deal because I remember um, no one had ever reached out to me. No one had ever been like, hey, do you want to come and do a, a video about us? And then I got an email from Greg Russell. And he's like, I'm working on Transformers 2. I like your stuff, basically. <laughs> do you want to come and hang out and like do a, story, a little video about Transformers 2. And I was just like, <laughs> I was like, I remember you, I mean, you still, you love, 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 love Michael Bay. Obviously. It goes without, <laughs> goes without saying. But it was like, I'm just, let me pull up the video here. Like just looking back at what it was, it was, oh my God, it's Carp. Okay, Erica Dahl, 
was on here. Let me see who else was on here. We had Eric Dahl, Greg Russell, and Ethan Vanderein were the two sound supervisors, and Greg Russell was the sound recording mixer. It's like two, the OG people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is. And oh god, yeah, it was. That, look, look at this old little Greg Russells and Ethan Vanderein's, oh, and yeah. it's really fun to look at. It's it's amazing because like little did I know that I would work with these guys and become friends with them <laughs> many times over. Yeah. Like you keep coming back like, oh, you're working on that film now? Oh, let's go do that. And like those those in um those initial relationships would just like it's crazy how the, how when you meet people and you're doing I think you're collaborating this way, like you're providing them with an opportunity and they're reaching back. It's like this mm-hmm. really I mean that's I think in my mind, I think that's how I felt like what I was doing was good in the sense of like, it's helping me, but it's also helping them. Like, it's not just self-serving. Right. Yeah. No, for sure. Because I I think you could kind of see also over the years, like, you know, especially early on, we'd ask, did you have any B-roll? Did you shoot anything while you were recording? And the answer was always like, no, basically. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, as they did more of these videos and understood what it could be. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's all that footage. Yeah. I mean, guys with guns, you know, shooting with like... They're little, I don't know, this isn't even a cell phone. This is like a little, who knows what this camera was. Yeah. But that, yeah, yeah, you could see them kind of, by being profiled like this, I think it helps the creators see the value in what they're doing. It's like, I think that's the thing I've I've noticed is that when you interview people or talk to people and you're like, what you're doing is amazing. I want to learn more about it. That kind of makes them realize, oh, I guess what I'm doing is kind of amazing and all this stuff. It really was just you and me, and I think that one Ryan McDuffie, our buddy, was on camera. Yes. Like the credits were like Michael and Michael and Ryan or Alex or <laughs> like interswapping friends, like yeah. to help out. And I think all of us were just like, you guys had just moved down to LA. Were you in LA in 2009 then, or not yet? Uh, not yet. No. Okay. Yeah. So you're still living in the Bay Area. And let me just let's go back to list. So we did okay. And then let's see, Terminator Salvation, Inglorious Bastards, mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino's film. I remember the sound of Avatar. Avatar which, with Chris Boys. Chris Boys. I remember that yeah. being amazing. Yeah, and then let's see. Another semantic one, Watchmen. Oh, and then I think uh one of the early, early pieces that was that was featured um was uh, this profile on the Foley artist Gary Hecker, who at the time I think he was at Universal or Sony. I mean, he was. Kind of, um, let me see what this one said here. 2010. Oh, he was. So he was at. He was at Taudio. Yeah. So Taudio was still open through the uh, CSS Studios group. Taudio, CSS Studios, Taudio in 2009. And that was just like a publicist reaching out, like, "Hey, do you want to do a profile on this Foley artist, Gary Hecker?" And um, which turned into a Vimeo staff pick, which then turned into the number one. It still is the number one video on Soundworks Collection. Which is just like, you don't actually know what's going to be big. Like Christopher Nolan films are really popular. So were Michael Bay films. And then every now and then we'd kind of like do one of these profiles and it'd be like a huge surprise of like what people would respond to. Yeah. Well, because it's, I, I feel like Foley is a thing people kind of know about generally. But I think what was also cool about this is we had such access like it wasn't just an interview you know we're filming him doing the foley for robin hood <laughs> yeah it was robin hood yeah 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 yeah, um, robin hood, yeah and so we were able to like you know shoot the screen shoot him doing the things cut it together line it up and it, it's kind of this more like involved you know going between an interview him talking about what he's doing and then lots of split screens of seeing it so i feel like it's, it's one of those that 
lends itself very well to video and you really get it in a way that can be harder when if you're not already sort of familiar with filmmaking so it's a very accessible video and i remember it being a lot of fun to put together yeah i mean so i mean there were many years of just inception was there scott so let's see 2010 august um doing scott pilgrim uh, versus the world which was a lot of fun edgar wright's film is julian slater something uh, julian julian slater doug cooper and chris uh, uh burden um i remember i remember this because the opportunity came up and they were working on on this in uh in london and i was like i'm in california like <laughs> it was in delay uh, yeah delane lee studios and um i i reached out i think i just maybe it was like on facebook or something maybe put it out to like the community like is there anyone who shoots a video in London. And I, like, I was surprised. Like I got like one or two uh, feedbacks uh, or yeah, like responses. responses yeah. yeah. And uh, this guy, Cormac Donnelly re- responded to me and, and I was like, oh my God, Sour's collection is now in London. <laughs> International. <laughs> International, which was like, it wasn't, it, it wasn't, it was pretty long until I would do another one abroad or like have someone else, like an opportunity come about that. But mm-hmm. uh, this one was really cool, not only because it was done in London, but also because it was one of the early ones that I pitched to the studio and said, hey, do you guys want to put this on the home release? Like, it's free. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, there's no reason not yeah, to. <laughs> it's, I think it's good. Uh, it was It's like a six and a half minute piece. And, and so the mm-hmm. studio... Um, Universal Pictures came back and they put it on the Blu-ray, which was like, oh my god, this, right? These videos are not not just living on the web; they're now like, to, in my mind, which is like makes it really very real. Mm-hmm. Which is like now it's on Blu-rays. Yeah, which is like kind of funny because now I feel like it's almost more legitimate to have it on <laughs> to, the to internet. Be yeah, but at the time it was like, wait, but that's where like the real things are. When I remember, so this was right around, I think that was right before I moved down to LA because mm-hmm. I moved in September of 2010. Yeah. Uh, and so one of the first things that happened when I moved down to LA is there was this Scott Pilgrim Blu-ray signing mm. that I got to mm-hmm. go to. Right, is that like Re- Amoeba or something? Or? Yeah, yeah, Amoeba Records. Yeah. And so it was, you know, basically the entire cast, like getting, to, you know, Edgar Wright and... Michael Sarah, <laughs> Michael Sarah, yeah. Anna Kendrick, like like everybody in the cast was there signing the Blu-rays. And it was also a Blu-ray that had this video that I'd worked on on right. it. And it was just like a very special like evening and, and cool to have still have that Blu-ray of like my thing is on here and Michael Sarah signed it. So <laughs> it's pretty neat. Gold star. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like, you know, at that point, I let's see, 2010. So context, I was not making money doing any of this. No one was paying us to do any of this. How was this? And that was the question. Like people would ask me like, like, who's paying you? How are you doing this? And like my answer was always like, no one's paying us. Um, in my mind, I think I was building an audience. I wanted to like give it like a few years to kind of like see what the potential was. I didn't really think that it could make money. Mm-hmm. I also didn't think that like... I didn't really know what like the the like other ways that it could make money or, or like what that model was like right, like how to monetize how it. to monetize it so yeah. like obviously like I said YouTube was 2005 now by 2010 like YouTube was a thing I don't know if anyone was making crazy money yeah I was still on Vimeo because I was like HD is right. I'm here I, I I'd committed to the Vimeo community and I never really looked back and I, I, I didn't and that's where like all the serious film yeah. content like <laughs> there was, were dog videos and, yeah like, right yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I, I didn't know how to make money. And I was just like, I don't know how we're to make money, but I think there's like an opportunity here. And, and I think it, it clicked um, for Toy Story 3, which was when it was one of the first films that was in Dolby for 7.1. Mm. <laughs> and um mm. it it was i i had met a few people from dolby at the time being in the bay area i was still in the bay area I, i'm still there now but dolby's in the bay area in san francisco and so i reached out to some people there and said hey like i've been doing this video series and i don't, I, I don't think they even knew of it like it was just i probably still said i'm doing this thing with mixed magazine <laughs> mm-hmm. but i think you guys should like look at these i think like there's a cool opportunity to partner and and to um, cross promote whatever. And so they actually were able to hire me to produce like a Soundworks collection video that was on the sound of Toy Story 3, which was promoting the 7.1. And so I'm looking here, it was Stuart Bowling, who's still with Dolby, awesome guy. He was a technical marketing director at Dolby. And he was kind of like, you know, the technical conversation side of like, this is what 7.1 it was Tom Myers, um, Michael Semanic, and if this is correct, Lee Unkridge? Yeah, I think we interviewed Lee. The director? Because I remember him being cool. <laughs> uh, I'll scrub through this video and see, but that was the first video where it was like, we're gonna, Stuart, we're, like, I'm getting paid to do this. So I was like, aha, like, here's an opportunity to, to do this thing, which at that part, like, I could still do my story. I could still promote and incorporate something that's relevant, which was like, a, you know, a format like 7-1. And then it was like off to the races. I just had to like be like, all right, well, what's the next 7.1 film you guys are doing? <laughs> right. But like it, it took a while still. Like it wasn't like immediately like, oh, like, oh, we've unlocked this like treasure trove now. It was still a lot of grinding. I'm looking at some of the other ones. A big one, Halo Reach mm-hmm. went up to um, Seattle and, and Marty O'Donnell which yeah. was like a god. Yeah, I mean, I was obsessed with Halo. I, I, that was another one that was super fun. Again, because it was like a field trip one. It was, like you said, we got to go to Seattle, go to Bungie, talk to Marty O'Donnell, see like early versions and rough versions of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was just like personally super fun and really interesting to learn about how they do things in video games and the things that are similar but also different and and yeah. just learning about all of that and putting that video together was super super fun yeah that was the first time i did like a video game thing which is like oh i guess like i guess i can do video game things like that's not too much out, out of the wheelhouse yeah um so i mean that was a big i'm just looking here at yeah wow okay it's going down memory lane here <laughs> so there's that um uh the social network was another big one i think just mm-hmm. because of us with your fascination with fincher Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Your fascination with Fincher at that point, I think Michael Semantic was like my spirit animal. Basically, it was like Michael Semantic's working on Paul Thomas Anderson and David Fincher and Ren Kleiss's working on David Fincher. I was like, all the stars have aligned. Right. No, it's it was kind of fun throughout this period, kind of gathering your like favorite collection of like sound people. And like everyone we talked to is really awesome. And it's hard to like narrow it down but i right. feel like i always had a soft spot for like I said michael semanic mm-hmm. and ren kleiss partially because they work on all the fincher films and it's just so freaking good they're so good yeah. and like getting to talk to these people that are you know one step removed from david like you have had a conversation <laughs> with david fincher like let me listen to everything you say right um it's really fun I was, I was also excited for this because this is one like atticus ross and trent reznor right we're gonna be doing musicians who are doing music for a film 
Right. And Aaron Sorkin wrote it. And Aaron Sorkin wrote it. Which also helped. It was also like, yeah, very similar to like when we did the first Dark Knight. It was just kind of like Christopher Nolan doing Batman with this guy, Richard King, who I look at his, I look at his credits. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. It's it's a little insane. Yeah. Um, I think like the only connection I would say between Social Network, which is 2010 and then this can't be right. These dates can't be right. I'm looking. (laughs) (laughs) Wait. Oh, no, no, no. I'm sorry. That's a panel. I'm thinking Social Network. Right, there's the panel too. Yeah, yeah. There was a panel which we did, which had Trent Reznor, which was the first time I had a chance to like, uh, kind of like shoot a panel. I did a few other ones. I did one for How to Train Your Dragon, which was at Skywalker. We did one for Watchmen. Remember that one? That was mm-hmm. one of the first ones. Yeah. It's like panels were now a thing. Like publicists were like, "We're doing these sound shows. Do you want to come and film them?" I'm like, "Oh, free content. I don't even have to edit them. I just have to like shoot them and put in clips and like yeah. make sure it works." Which, yeah, diversifying content. Diversifying content, yeah. yeah. Um, I, so what I was going to say is like Social Network was awesome. It, there was a thing where I was like, I really want Trent Reznor. I reached out to his publicist and the publicist was like, wait, who are you? And I was like, I'm <laughs> Soundworks Collection. He's like, who? What's your audience? I'm like, ugh. <laughs> this is so demeaning. <laughs> I, I couldn't get Finch. I, I couldn't get Trent Reznor. I was like, right. but uh, it was like I had this long view of like one day. I'm one gonna, day. Yeah, one day. So we'll put that story on the back burner. Yeah. Let's let's jump ahead here to Black Swan. Mm, that was intense. Which was Craig Hennigan, sound supervisor, which which was the first time I met Craig. Darren Aronofsky's film, Natalie Portman, Say No More. It was so good. Uh, what we can say, Craig at the time, he's at, let's see, it was Fox Studios and Sound One. It was a Fox, Fox Searchlight picture. And I think this was shot in Craig's studio when he was at fox i think it's probably in the same room so. yeah it's the same room because i think he also then said he was working on like a wes anderson film coming up soon or oh, something maybe. so i was yeah it's like you're working on all the cool yeah, yeah once again i was like wait who are you working with i was like ah. yeah speaking of natalie portman this is kind of, this is kind of a tangent <laughs> yeah go for it but do you remember when we saw natalie portman at, yes at, at skywalker this is before why Ridge? were we at skywalker we were shooting one of these. Uh-huh. Uh, and she was giving a tour. She was giving a tour. I think it was like a Make-A-Wish Foundation thing. It was thing. definitely a Make-A-Wish Foundation. And we were just yeah. walking. I think maybe we'd heard that she was on the yeah. site. And so it was like, well, we need to go to your car to get equipment, right. I guess. Uh, not knowing if we'd actually run run into her. And we went down the hallway and she was there, like right in the middle of our path, talking to the kid and the other person. And I just remember like taking like just play it cool mike like don't lose it but for a, we we passed right by her and for a moment we made eye contact yeah, and i just yeah. remember like the earth stood still i lived in that moment for like a million years i was like oh my god you're natalie portman this is amazing uh which happened all the time i, I feel like over the years of like you'd be on some mixed stage and you'd be like oh yeah paul thomas anderson's in the next studio over like working on blah 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 and you're like right. oh, if i could just there's <laughs> there's no reason for me to yeah, hang yeah. out outside that room but i want to and you have to be yeah. professional you you can't just go around opening doors which i fortunately did not like it did not become a thing ever to do that i was like very respectful of that was the thing i remember right. it was like we're a guest here we're given the opportunity like they trust us do not break that trust like right yeah and they're making a movie like they're in the middle yeah. of their process like, right now they don't need to talk to us right um let's see jumping ahead here there's a few other cool ones Tron Legacy. I remember the first time I yeah I remember AR Raman for 127 hours, which mm-hmm. is which is cool talking with a composer for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was like a 
this kind of like one of those pie in the sky ideas that I had, which was like, I don't know, I think ever for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I always wanted to become like an Imagineer. Mm-hmm. Like I wanted to work at Disneyland. And then I was like, well, I can't do that because I've obviously, I feel like that ship has sailed. Like, wow. <laughs> Should have studied other tw- things. I'm 20, whatever, four now. <laughs> that ship has sailed. I can't possibly. But anyway, so I, like I reached out to the publicist at Walt Disney Imagineering and said, once again, I've been doing this thing. I want to do a story about the sound and music team. Imagineers. At, yeah, the Imagineers. And um, we pitched them. We went in and shot like this really fun video, which um, this is 2011, which featured a bunch of great people. Jo- um, let's see. Glenn Barker, Joe Harrington, Kurt Kenzel, Robin Brode, Brode, Grand Lotke, and John Dennis. Like Most of these guys are still there. And they're still doing great work. Um, I remember Gabe Guy was one of the other guys too. Later I met. But like basically we pitched them on a story. And this turned into like a, an 11-minute video. Uh, it's like a mini documentary. It's a mini documentary basically about like the sound work at Walt Disney. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like the history of it. And again, it's kind of like with video games. It's using sound but in a different way. Like you're still trying to achieve a similar thing of like telling a story when you're on a ride and mm-hmm. i just remember it being really fascinating hearing about you know yes they hide speakers everywhere but also the crazy technology of knowing where the writer is at what point and what sounds they're going to play at this point and how they have to time the music but each ride each time it goes around it's slightly different and there just there was so many interesting little tidbits of how things you never think of obviously when you're there that like really make the ride experience what it is yeah and just and the history of the sound effects that they use and and the best part being mm-hmm. we had we had well we had to go to disneyland <laughs> and we had to shoot b-roll we had to shoot b-roll rides. we're like do you guys have anything like they're like no like, i mean whatever no like, okay cool like let's can we shoot stuff there they're like yeah here this pass lets you go to the front of every line and just get on board whenever you wanted and it's like okay this is my job today. Yeah, yeah. Is to ride around, and most of the time we only had one camera, so it was like right. you shooting, and I was just like hanging I was out, just riding the rides with you. I remember too that uh, there's this section there where Joe Harrington, who who was one of the media design principals, um, takes us into Disney's sound effects um, like archive or library, and like walks oh, you through right. and shows. Oh my god! All of like the physical devices and contraptions that they made. Um, to do all like the sounds like they would you know perform it live i remember seeing this on the wally um extra features ben burt went down there and did like a very similar tour and it's, it's such a cool kind of look back of like where what sound was back in the day you know in the 30s and 40s and yeah like all these objects that have such history to them and they still have them yeah and yeah seeing them pull it out and you know this is how we made the marching sounds for this oh, and that it was so cool i, I, yeah. just, I just remember like to me, at this point, I feel like I was able to feel really good about Sound Collection and like try to do videos on the regular. I was trying to like program out like how can I get content going because at this point like people were interested and it wasn't as hard to pitch stories, but it was still like it was it was a growth. I mean, <laughs> it's still growing. <laughs> yeah. But, but it was more it wasn't so hard like it didn't feel right. like by that point there was a library of content which is like here's a website right probably still wordpress <laughs> <laughs> that i cobbled together but it had all the videos and, and and like i could i had real numbers like i remember 
at the time, like the Gary Hecker video did and the Michael Bay's, like they were doing hundreds of thousands of views mm-hmm. uh, in the first few weeks. And it was like, holy shit. Right. Like that was a big deal. It was a big deal. Right. Because well, especially I feel like at that time, you know, blogs were still a thing. And so I feel, I feel like that was mm. another thing you kind of tapped into. Was sure. Like blogs yep. needed content. And so you would make these videos and everyone like gobble them up yeah. and share them because it was like, this is awesome content in a way to bring people to the blogs but also then send them to soundworks collection i just remember and thinking about like how people were telling like the, the types of blogs jake real um who's a, a really talented sound designer um who's in la now he had a, a website called film sound daily and he would you know kind of blog about this stuff once again like probably in text and pictures um, and I think he was doing stories and interviews. And it's kind of like what I think we saw later, like there's, you know, designing sound and sound architect and there's um, a sound effect. Like there's there's like a handful of websites now that are very similar, um, but like there weren't many. <laughs> there weren't like, right. there weren't many people blogging about sound for film. Yeah. And because it, it's like, again, I, like I was just thinking about this, this really was... I want to say trailblazing in a lot of ways. Like it was really early on content like about filmmaking and and like we've talked about sharing this education and this access with people. And now it's kind of become, you know, ubiquitous. Like everyone, mm-hmm. you know, go on YouTube and there's a million people making videos about all yeah. kinds of things. But this was a pretty novel thing that you just kind of willed into being from nothing. <laughs> it only got better. I, I, I remember after the first two years when I was starting to monetize, it felt better because it was like, I was so willing to do it because like it, it felt like portfolio work that I wanted to be associated with. Mm-hmm. And then when I started making money, it was like, ah, like I'm actually spending time on stuff I love and I'm making money, not a lot, but enough that it wasn't like, where am I going to like make you know, right. rent type of thing. What terrible other gig yeah. do I have to take in order to pay for this? And there are plenty of terrible <laughs> gigs that we had done because oh it was just like, oh my goodness, we had to, we want, I mean, I think that's the wonderful thing about you and I is we both went freelance and we never looked back. Like mm-hmm. working for you is the only job I've ever had. Like, like <laughs> that's the only like working for somebody thing that I've ever done. You're very patient and, and, uh, your temperament probably got you through all the chaos of <laughs> of of the world that I produced. Well, <laughs> and ditto, and vice yeah, versa. Right. I, I feel like I looked back on that because I what I what I realized about myself is that I'm I'm a terrible employee. Uh, I don't like doing work that I don't want to do. Right. And there were many a days where I would like not really be feeling it and just like go make pasta and like <laughs> nap at my desk for a little while. And right. We're always patient and ultimately i would get it done so it was like right. so i feel like we we balanced each other out well it was an amazing learning experience i mean i'm just i want to jump ahead here like there's so many little stories of different things there's uh i guess yeah so two, 2012 was when the girl with the dragon tattoo came out and it was like this time i was like i'm gonna get trent reznor and i went back to the manager and i was like remember me from two years ago whatever <laughs> like i'm still here and i still want to talk with trent and he's like, all right, fine, basically. <laughs> what I actually did is one morning I said, I'm, I, I'm in L.A. for something else, which I kind of was, but I kind of wasn't. I kind of like I was there, but I wasn't there for the reason I probably said I was. <laughs> uh-huh. But like I just I, I, I said, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm in your area. Like, is it cool if I come by and we got coffee? 
And it was more of just like, I'm not crazy. Like you can trust <laughs> me with Trent and Atticus. Right. And like, he then obviously gave us um, the okay to do it. And th- then he was like, here's Trent Reznor's home address up in the hills. And I remember I was like, Tucker, <laughs> we're going to Trent Reznor's house. Can you please come? And that was insane. I remember driving up. It felt like like scaling Mount Olympus. It was raining. It was Yeah. It was like an epic setting of like, we're going to go talk to Trent Reznor today. This is going to be insane. And it was still, yeah, Michael Semanic, Brent Kleist. Like we had that, that was still working, like mm-hmm. wonderful stories, amazing right. sound work going on. Which also helped. I yeah. feel like they were able then to vouch also and, and right. make connections since we had formed relationships with them. Oh God, yeah. Just being in a room, like, yeah. I think it was, I don't know, you and me and who else? I don't know, Brendan Vetter was it? Oh, Brandon, yeah, our buddy Brandon yeah. Vetter was also. I was like, hey, Brendan, we're going to Trent Rezzer's house. <laughs> Do you want to come with? That's basically like 99% of how I crewed all this stuff. I was like, hey, who's free and what are you doing tomorrow? Right. Yeah. Like literally that was, but that was so much fun. They were super nice, had really interesting things to say again. Mm-hmm. It, it being a Fincher film again was so much fun. Um, and I think, I think going through it all, I think that was the last one that I edited. Okay. I think you, I, I shot other ones. You were in LA at that point. But yeah, I think I'd been in LA for a while and I think around then it was sort of like this doesn't quite make sense to keep shipping like right. hard, hard hard drives down and all that stuff and also at that time was um, I'm trying to think I was I remember looking back of year 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 after year of how many videos there were and it would always be like upper 20s to mid to low 30s like the number of annual like the oh. annual like number of videos that I was doing like it was something that I felt really adamant, like every month or every two, three weeks, like I wanted to do something. So I'd always look at like what movie's coming out, what can I, what's interesting to me? And it'd always be like this kind of leapfrog of like trying to understand, like, all right, we're in production on this one and then we're gonna do a post on this one and like trying to keep, feed the machine. Because at that point it was like, I'm trying to build an audience. I think this thing has legs. I don't know if it's gonna actually still keep making money or just really just pay for itself. It's not really making money. It's just paying for itself. Mm -hmm. You know, I I could pay my friends to help shoot and edit, which, you know, it continued to do. Oh my God. And then there's just like so many fun things. Um, Made some call outs. Let's see. The Sound of the Hobbit um, was the first time that I actually, I went abroad Dolby. It was the first time. It was early, early stages of them with Atmos. Oh, right. And that was new. Yeah. And and Peter Jackson was interested and he had a setup on his stage at Park Road Post in Wellington, in New Zealand. Um, and who was it? It was, yeah, it was recording mixers, Michael Hedges, Chris Boys, Michael Semanic again, um, co-supervisors, it was Brent Burge, uh, Chris Ward, and Gilbert Lake was the mic- the Dolby Atmos recording mixer. It was like people had never worked in Atmos and I just remember being there and being like, I hope this works because like <laughs> this is the future of like what film seven one was not a big like five one to seven one was not like this right wow moment i remember it sounding cool but especially looking back now it's like oh no it wasn't that big a deal i mean the hobbit hobbit was big but even before then brave was was really like the first mm-hmm. title which was their i don't know if that was the native i mean that wasn't the, the native one when it was like from the beginning mm-hmm. whatever they called you know a native atmos mix yeah um 
Anyway, it was yeah, cool. it Atmos was, is really cool. It, it's like okay, 2012, 2011, if that's right, was no 2012. Brave. It was like I remember at that point I was working for Dolby and they were prototyping and and there was a movie theater on Van Ness in San Francisco that they were hanging speakers on chains, and like wow. it was their like test lab, and it was it wasn't called Atmos and they were trying to show like directors and film and and sound people like this is what we want to do we think it's going to be the future but we don't have any content and so they're inviting like people to come in and and they were basically like testing they were up mixing Mm. some stuff they did a bunch of brad bird stuff from uh, the incredibles and i forget craig hennigan had the mavericks which was a surfing film uh, oh, yeah. yeah and the life of pi was another big one right i remember being on that shoot and that because that one was also 3d and mm-hmm. i feel like that combination you know of the yeah. 3d and that most really helped it stand out yeah it's early 2013 and atmos was like very beginning people were not yet using it to like to the extent of where what it would become like it wasn't widespread mm-hmm. so it was just really exciting i think to be a part of like of shooting these video profiles which was like the early stages of the first few projects that were atmos and i don't know it just like continued to progress from there and i remember when uh dolby bought what is now the dolby theater mm-hmm. uh which is, like it's the kodak at the time yeah right yeah, yeah. oh yes yeah that's a great story <laughs> right i feel like that was it's not quite sound worth it's like tangential a little bit yeah. but it was them kind of read like taking the theater apart installing an Atmos system. Yep. They're going to premiere it with some movie. I can't remember. It was a premiere was for... Summer? I thought it was Brave. Was it Brave? Yeah, it okay. might have been Brave. might have been Brave. Um, but, you know, the Dolby Theater, Kodak Theater is where the Oscars are held and mm-hmm. have been for a very long time. And so for like a week, my assignment was to just film B-roll of them doing things. Mm-hmm. And so it was... I just got to wander around all the backstage of the Dolby Theater and like the upstairs, all the back ways in and out. And so for like a week, I felt like I lived in this theater and I mm-hmm. kind of formed this very intimate knowledge. But it was uh, it was cool as they were wrapping up. Uh, I should remember there was this moment where you and I were on the stage and then kind of realized we were standing on the, the spot, spot where you stand yeah. when you win an Oscar and just looking out at the theater and that just that was a that was a cool moment. He snapped a very nice picture of me also that my, <laughs> that my mother still has hanging in her it's, in her house. It's just like one of those things like if I ever knew the access or the places that Sour's collection would would take us, I would never have imagined that like it's just it's crazy. It's it's still crazy. It's it continues to be crazy <laughs> and that's part of the reason why it's still so much fun to to do it because it you just never know what relationships opportunities things are going to come about um i'm just looking at like there i don't know if there's let's see there's a lot of really great video profiles oh my god godzilla was a big one sound of the planet of the apes um uh, let's see here boop 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 the revenant mm. was a really exciting one um we went back and uh i went back and did a video for uncharted 4 which was kind of cool i didn't really know much about video games and naughty dog was like another amazing place that was like oh wait we can go <laughs> hang out naughty dog like yeah which is amazing That's like cool. 
that was that was exciting. Um, and then, okay, zoom ahead here. I'm, I'm <laughs> skipping so much stuff, and we, we might come back. 2016, the sound of Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> the most uh, epic, <laughs> s- just insane, um, unexpected things. Which was Kevin O'Connell, um, incredibly talented sound mixer, had been nominated. Him and I think Thomas Newman were the most nominated. There's a bunch of them who are up there mm. of like, you know, Academy Award nominated people that had never won. Mm-hmm. And Kevin had a long time relationship with Mel Gibson, mm-hmm. you know, as a director. Um, and he was working on this film, Hacksaw Ridge. This is like Mel's return to directing or whatever. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever. And um, they said, would you be interested in doing Hacksaw Ridge? And I was like, I am, but it'd be even more interesting if we could get Mel and they're like, okay, uh, we're going to like, let, let's run that up the flagpole. <laughs> and I was like, okay, thank you. And I like hung up and like, didn't really think like anything would come of it. Cause it's like, you always ask for the director if right. you can, but it never happens. I mean, some of the early directors Sometimes. we had, yeah. I mean, we had, like we said, some of the, the Pixar guys, mm-hmm. I think Brad bird, uh, Brad, yeah, about. Brad bird, Joe, um, from oblivion, Joe. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. Who else? Edgar Wright uh, later on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, there weren't many directors. So anyway, Mel Gibson, they basically came back and said, yes, Mel's on board. I'm like, uh, okay, cool. Thank you. Um, okay, great. So the film isn't, the film hadn't come out yet. And uh, I don't know if you knew the story, but like the film hadn't come out yet. They're still working on it. I'm like, well, I would like to see some of the film before I interview anyone, including Mel. That'd be great. And so they're like, oh, and still in the Bay Area. And so they said, well, well there's a screening. Um, is that Bay Street in Emeryville, which was in my backyard? Oh, yeah. It's like down the street. Down the street. I was like, cool. Great. There's a screening. I didn't really connect the dots in my head. And so I roll in and I get to the theater and I thought like I was early. I was like, where, where is everyone else? And they're like, uh, you're it. Like this screening is for you. Wow. I was just like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you guys set up a private screening like in my backyard so I could watch a film. I was just like, I, I, I didn't feel worthy. I was just like, this is too much. Like, at like at a major theater. At a major too. theater at, at an AMC theater. Wow. And it was a work in progress. Like some of the special effects weren't done. It was a pretty, like the mix was pretty far along. It was mm-hmm. more like picture hadn't, re- like, I think it was picture lock for sure, but like the visual effects hadn't really come in all the way. Mm-hmm. But like it was me and a publicist and a security guard who was watching me to make sure that I wouldn't film oh anything. <laughs> so the ideal situation. Yeah, the ideal when, situation. When watching a movie. I just remember like the whole thing. I was like, this is crazy. Like, all right, we have Mel Gibson. They got me the film. I can watch it. And now we're going to go do the interview with Mel. And they gave us the whole day. Kevin and his team were amazing. Let's see. It was... um. Mel, um, supervising sound editor and sound designer, Robert McKenzie, um, supervising sound editor and re-recording mixer, Andy Wright, and picture editor, John Gilbert. And Kevin, I don't even know, Kevin O'Connell, I don't think he was even in the video. Hmm. Maybe he was. Maybe he wasn't. I don't know if he was. But I just remember, like, it felt like, it, it like, all the work and all, there's Mel, all of the energy of like just grinding to get to a point where it was like we could get the director we had access on the mix stage the studio was on board we were like shooting like them working like it yeah just, it never had happened 
Because because I, I feel like that was you know usually when we would go, the people would either be working on a different project because you know they'd be moved on. Because usually it was trying to time the video around the time of release, right? right. And so by the time that was happening, they'd maybe either moved on done, to yeah. projects or they were like mixing like the DVD home video version. And so it was rare and really cool when we'd get to go while they were mixing the right, movie, like right. actually doing the work, seeing the conversations between the mixers and the director and seeing them tweak things and see that process. And I remember it being cool feeling like, oh, this is kind of like just like what we do. Like when I make my movies, it's like it's these same kind of conversations, right. but it's just at this scale that is something else and with these people that have this huge wealth of experience um and so that was always really interesting and kind of inspiring to be like, okay this is like filmmaking is filmmaking even at this scale mm. uh and that was always a fun kind of lesson that i would walk away with mm. yeah it's, that's i totally forgot about like all, the, all these things you just take you don't take for granted but you do so much of it it becomes second nature that it just kind of gets ingrained right yeah. Well, it's like like when I occasionally go on uh, one of the, you know, the lots now, yeah, I'm like, right. oh, yeah, it's universal again. It's right. Like, oh, Sony. I haven't been to Sony in a while. Like, yeah, yeah. it's just such a, a mind shift from where it was, where it was yeah. when it, we began 10 years ago. Yeah. I'm looking back. Also, one of the kind of aspects of like it was video, like 100 percent pedal to the metal. Like I only wanted to do video. I did not care about anything else. And then something shifted, which was publicists were like pitching me on doing these stories. And I was like, ah, I do want to interview them, but they're not like in L.A. They're not in the Bay Area. I can't fly to New York. Mm-hmm. And I, the one that really clicked for me was um, for Birdman. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I, I remember the publicist reached out and said, uh, you know, we have the sound supervisor from Birdman. And, you know, would you be interested in talking with him? He's in Mexico City. And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. And I was like, oh, okay. So it's not going to be a video. He's not going to shoot a video of himself. Like, I, that's what I did in London. I basically, like, hired a team. I don't have a right. team in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like all, I took all that off the table. And and that's that was the beginning of um, the podcast series, which started in 2014, which is, oh. to me, like, I, I look back, I don't know how many episodes now, just posted 246 Wow. It's <laughs> a lot. It? It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it's like you, you do one at a time and you don't really think about like you don't look back over your shoulder. You don't think about I'm trying to go back to when it was. I'm looking through on the website. It just it basically unlocked this opportunity where it's like people reach out to me and want to do stories. But like I, I, I couldn't do video or it wasn't the right fit for video. So I would just do a podcast. And that was the beginning of the podcast series, which was like I don't like once again like I'm a guy who's behind the camera you never hear my voice in the videos but like mm-hmm. now I have to be a voice be a personality a version of yourself a version of myself so yeah. like, I remember some of the early ones I did uh, my buddy Chris Dugan who was the engineer um, sound engineer for Green Day um, Frank Bry you know amazing sound recordist kicking butt um, what, what else we did here the sound of get on up um I did some sound effects libraries for boom library and then just random stuff happened where it was like i remember joe perry from aerosmith had a book that came out and they're like you want to do an interview with joe perry and i was like okay <laughs> remember same thing like do you want to do an interview with um han zimmer for interstellar i'm like yes <laughs> 
Yes. Yes, please. Is the answer. Yeah, just like it a lot. Like there was yeah, twenty fourteen for Interstellar. It, yeah. It, well, you know. it's it's cool because video is obviously a great format for kind of simplifying an idea and sharing it broadly for people. Mm-hmm. But for people that really want that in depth you know knowledge of just sitting and listening to smart people talk about the things that they're good at right that is what a podcast is so good at being and i think it was yeah Mm. like you said it it makes sense that it clicked at that moment because it's easier in so many ways but also so much easier (laughs) right i mean like i mean you know you do a video and i remember just like trying to associate how much time it would take it would literally take like a week right like a lot of time a lot like in that week <laughs> a lot of time in that week and a podcast could take a few hours. like you record it you edit it you clean it up and that's it and i was just like oh, it's so much easier and i feel like it's more conversational you have more it's not a 10 minute piece it's a 30 minute piece it's a 40 minute piece this is i, I think this is probably the longest podcast i've done <laughs> <laughs> which is fine right. but it's like the like i don't have any form format either for a podcast like however long mm-hmm. it needs to be it is if it's short great if it's long and it's long and um we have skype we have you know you can dial people in over the phone line like it's super easy to do it now yeah and so it was just like all right i guess i'm doing a podcast which like i didn't really even listen to podcasts like some of my friends were listening to like mark Marin and chris hardwick for the nerdist mm-hmm. and some of those early people who were podcasting who were doing um, just conversational, very off the cuff, not very like clean and like Hollywood produced. Produced, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it it wasn't like this, you know. Obviously, like there's always has been like NPR and Terry Gross and like that world of public radio, mm-hmm. but podcasts had a different kind of f- flavor to it. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm okay with the sound of my voice, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna try this out. That is always a a weird hurdle. Yeah. So. Kind of, this is a little bit of a tangent, yep. but like going back to a thing you mentioned earlier mm. of, and kind of like you just mentioned of appearing mm. for the first time in a thing. Mm-hmm. I One of the, the things I also remember learning and observing while making these videos was what it's like to interview someone. Oh, sure. And I was, you know, kind of always behind the camera and monitoring the audio levels and you would always be doing the interviewing. Right. And I remember very uh, arrogantly thinking early <laughs> on of like, how hard can it be to interview somebody? I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I feel like he's like a little nervous. Like, whatever. Why should he be nervous? He's just asking questions. Right. And then I think, I think it was for The Dark Knight Rises. Mm. It was for one of the Gary Rizzo ones. You had me do the interview. Oh, really? Just because? I, I Yeah, I don't I probably know. probably was like, well, this is your favorite film. Why don't you do it? Right. It was probably something. I was like, oh, yeah, this is fine. And I just remember being terrified <laughs> and it going very, very poorly and me having a deep appreciation afterward oh god for how difficult it is to interview someone because it's not something you think about yeah like you think it's like oh you're just reading questions but you're trying to engage them you're trying to listen to what they're saying but keep track of the things you want to talk about have they touched on it have they not touched on it Mm -hmm. and like you're making eye contact with them for a very long period of time and then Mm -hmm. you start thinking about is it weird that we've been making eye contact Right, right, right like it's a whole other thing so i also i feel like the the video stuff was helpful because it gave me um a way to approach pre-production differently than i would if i was just shooting video and i was just a camera guy you just show up you don't really care about story as much maybe like i Mm -hmm. think when i started in the podcast it then made me recognize just like a conversation can be a conversation if you're engaging if you're if you're engaged in what they're talking about 
and you care enough about it and you want to talk about it and there's things that generally interest you you're not just filling space Mm -hmm. and um many times like people would ask me like oh can you send in questions and i i eventually came up with like a boilerplate of just generic questions of like all right here you go publicist like here Mm -hmm. you here (laughs) so you can basically get a sense of like where i go with things but that wasn't never kind of like the guidelines it was just kind of like well here's a foundation but then we're just going to talk right and yeah which i think is really smart like i think that's i've started to do some interviewing also in Mm -hmm. podcasting and that's kind of what i've arrived at too where again publicists have been like what are the questions i want to know the topics you're going to talk about ahead of time and i'm like well it's better if it's a conversation but here are some things that you'll approve um but yeah it's it's the most fun to listen to and to you know be in a conversation with when you're talking about things you're genuinely interested in Mm. leaving room for surprising things that they might say and being able to be like oh but okay let's talk about that more that's interesting and go down those alleys and again that's something you can do in a podcast that you can't do in a video like it's a whole different whole different medium i mean i i made a a, i made like a, a concerted effort to keep doing videos but there was a point when i basically just got too busy with client work probably like hacksaw ridge was 2016 there were a few more and like i just i slowed down at in the beginning after oscars of 26 2017 i was just like i'm tired of grinding yeah like it's still i'm really still excited about doing this but like i just can't keep turning these out like there's other things i want to do uh this is only a little over two years ago even though it's a life it seems long but i basically just made like a call to myself i said i needed to like not put that much pressure on myself the biggest one i did that year was the sound of blade runner 2049 because it was mark mm-hmm. mangini hans zimmer again and i was just like i gotta do this yeah and yeah i think like there's there's you know the same thing like shadow of tomb raider i had to do it quiet place you know i had mm-hmm. to do it mm-hmm. um but after that like i kind of just kind of winded down doing videos well like i guess the trade-off for me was you know a few years ago four or five years ago i, I partnered up once again with Dolby with Glenn Kaiser who ran the Dolby Institute and I said Glenn I think we should do this thing that I've been doing but I think I can kind of put the burden of being you can be the moderator I don't want to be the moderator mm-hmm. you can represent Dolby Institute you can do you can be the voice of of you know the Dolby Institute and do your thing and he's well qualified I mean he's the general manager he was a general manager of Skywalker Sound he has more knowledge I mean I completely trusted him with everything and i love the guy so him and i just started doing the dolby institute soundworks collection video podcast series collaboration and now like this is our fourth or this is our fifth year fifth series of doing um a podcast video series with and for dolby and for soundworks collection so and then we do all the sound nominees when the oscars come around which was just like once again like how can i cover my time i want to like go out and do these stories but i I don't have the free time i can't just do this for free anymore Mm -hmm. so like dolby is a that's that's as complicated as the partnership is it's like i'm helping dolby dolby's helping me we're all going in with the with the same intent and like whenever i explain to people who are like i am doing this i've been doing this podcast series or video series how do i monetize it i can't understand how i make money i'm always like just find the partner who shares those similarities of like mm-hmm. why you're doing it, the types of stories you're trying to do, and hopefully they're in a position where they can fund it, and um, and it's a win-win. You can be the content producer, you can be the expert, one of the experts or expertise, and that's kind of how I looked at the Dolby thing. It's like I don't need to 
be 100% involved. I mean, like I still shoot and edit all the the content, but like I don't need to be the voice. I don't need to be the person asking the questions. And like it's been a lot of fun. I, I did that also with John Burlingame, who was who's a writer, an incredible writer who does who covers a lot of the composers. And like working with him, he opened up a whole another world to me of like talking with film composers of like you know talking with like like last year we did Ludwig Göransson for Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! So, so many, good. Yeah, Nicholas Breitel for if Bill Street could talk, and just like it just reminded me of like yeah. there's other people out there that I can I can leverage their expertise and help. Like like John did some video, but he was really excited. Like for me, I could plug myself in. He's he he's done interviews and stories. That's not new to him, but like I'm, mm-hmm. that's like I'm gonna shoot a video of you, and I'm, and I'm gonna rely on you to kind of be the creative mind. So anyway, that's how this that's how the <laughs> podcast series came about, and how I also just. I mean, I love the podcast. I've been I've been doing it now for since 2014. Like I said, 246 inner yeah. pieces. And I, I look back and it's like, I don't know how we did the number of videos we did. I don't know how we did the number of podcast episodes, but it's just like you get very uh, like tunnel visioned, mm-hmm. like whatever that project is right in front of you. Right. No, I definitely experienced that too. Where it's like, <laughs> I think I've done 49 videos now. And I'm like, when the hell? Like, I remember when I was doing six. When did that happen? Yeah. Well, so I think one of the things hmm. that has like always impressed me about you, I say always because like <laughs> I'm not I, bad. I'm not that fancy. Well, well, no, I'm. I'm. I appreciate it. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll stop yeah, you. Go yeah, ahead. yeah. Uh, I think I'd say always, but I think I wasn't really conscious of it until mm-hmm. kind of just now. But I, I think there's a flexibility that you need to have as a creator and especially mm. with something like soundworks which is a job but also a passion project like like i said you willed it into being right yeah and yeah. um yeah I, th- I think it's smart and good to have those moments of self-reflection and check in with yourself of is this still what I want it to be? Am I still having fun with it the way I want it to be? If the answer is no, that can be scary sometimes. Right, yeah. Um, but I think being able to dive into that scary place and be open to other options mm-hmm. is critical. And then you come out with things like, well, what if it was a podcast? What if it was this? And mm. allowing yourself to evolve and not get stuck in a rut just because mm. I think is important when you're this kind of this new kind of creator that I feel like again didn't really exist before yeah. 2009, where it's like you're this solo person that yeah. willed this thing into being, and like people help you along the way, but you're a new kind of creator that didn't exist 15, 20 years ago. It's only because technology has allowed us to like right. do that to right. edit our own things, to shoot our own things. Soundworks Collection wouldn't have existed a few years before then because like the technology we we would have been shooting on like high eight or god it's, we were it's shooting a, on high eight but it, it, it was, it was digital hey at least digital high eight, yeah, yeah. yeah. would have been TV. awful yeah i was trying to pull up the the numbers not that i need to like flash numbers but it just helps me like re- remind myself of <laughs> like it can it the thing that's it still blows my mind i i go back and i see i look at like i said like some of those the big videos that, that have happened I, it, these aren't even real or um accurate but i look back like gary uh, it is accurate okay so 635,000 for a video about a foley artist it's like mm-hmm. okay cool a video about gravity 334,000 mm-hmm. views that's uh, a good one. let's see blade runner this is just some of the more recent top ones that's a lower one 66,000 
But still, it's like only 166,000 people. What I'm trying to get at is I'm very grateful for like every I I feel like it's um, like I only said yes to any of those projects because like it interested me and I felt really good about spending the time, whether I was being paid or not to do them. But then when I look back, I'm like and I meet people and they're like, oh, I I really like that specific piece or this is when I remember I. I, I found your stuff like that. Like that's all that really matters to me is is that like people remember that thing that helped inspire them because mm-hmm. that's ultimately like to be honest, I really just wanted to kind of uh, return the favor of like what I saw from like the making ofs back when I was growing up when it was like someone took the effort to capture the story so that you know ten, fifteen, twenty years later you could watch it and then. You don't know the impact of it. Yeah, like, I don't know if someone wants to go back and watch a video about the sound of Transformers Two, but I look back here and I'm like, some nine thousand people have been watching the videos over the past <laughs> thirty days. So like, yeah, someone's still watching it. So I can't like discount like it's not relevant. Yeah, absolutely. And as as a personal note, not yeah. to get too emotional, but <laughs> yes, I feel like when I think back on you know all. The, all that time it it is like a different lifetime that i lived and i feel like i was a different me mm-hmm. but i just chronicling all of this today's made me really appreciate mm. how much i learned as a filmmaker as a creative person yeah. from you from them mm. but also just how to be like a freelance person like yeah. I, I i was not that i was very bad at any kind of outgoing talking to people there's like, only a few people that that took the leap is like you and our buddy logan gramay and alex and i mean right ryan and like who am i forgetting there's other people but like yeah you know there's a handful of people that made that leap and was like no like i feel i don't really care about making money or like having this thing we're also in our 20s so like it was a little different yeah it's not that different really right now but like it, it felt different yeah but it's still again I, I feel like it was inspiring watching you operate i appreciate it thank and you. yeah you know thank you talk the talk and then figure out how to walk the walk later oh man so much it's not even it's not even bullshitting because i, I didn't even know what i was bullshitting about like i was just trying to like make everyone relaxed and comfortable with like this thing that i wanted to do which was ultimately just capture this story and then take the footage home and then just like be a mole person and edit and just like live with it and like that was the most exciting part like the shoots yeah. were exciting and like i like we were saying like they weren't it's not that like fancy looking video like for like the equipment that we had like it got better and it's gotten better but like it was always just about like capturing like figuring out the story taking it back figuring out the edit and figuring out like how you can mold this kind of your version of this idea of someone else's story that basically you wanted to reinterpret yeah yeah how to make it into a thing how to make it into a thing yeah i don't know what else to say about this but i I definitely want to kind of like catch us up to like 2000 what year is it now 2019 (laughs) december 13th we're in la um in in tucker's um studio here in glendale where you've been here how long now studio is a very nice word it's it's another 10 by 11 (laughs) space just like my studio right um how long have you been here now then uh i mean i've been in la since 2010 and in glendale since 2017 okay yeah so when you moved to LA, did you think 
any of this stuff that has happened would happen? Or what What did you think? What, what, what was going to happen when you moved to L.A. then? Definitely not. I mean, I think I moved to L.A., you know, wanting to make movies, whatever that looked like. Yeah. And, you know, me and several of the people that helped with Soundworks Collection, Alex Cairos and Ryan mm-hmm. McDuffie, we started this YouTube channel where we made short films and released one every month. And we did that for a year and that was insane. And then we made web series and then we made documentaries and kind of this the slow creeping of adulthood meant that there were less fun projects and more um, gigs that you had to do. Uh, but I feel like when I, so there was this moment in 2016, 2016, yep. uh, where a documentary project that I'd been working on fell through. I'd saved up enough that I could live off of it for a few months. And I was like, I don't want to keep doing this i want to do something fun mm-hmm. uh and i feel like very much in the spirit of soundworks collection i mm-hmm. feel like it was i want to go learn a thing and i wanted to learn more about screenwriting and so i started this youtube channel called lessons from the screenplay uh and it was scary and i didn't know what would happen with it and and again it felt may 7th 2016 does that sound right uh yeah yeah that sounds right um yeah, and and I kind of realized pretty early on that I was like, oh, this is kind of like what Coleman did with Soundworks Collection. I'm just like yeah. starting this thing, putting it out there, hoping people will respond to it. And luckily they did. And that has become my full-time job since I mean, then. And, and I mean, you made the, di- the difference. I think the big shift for you is you were on YouTube. I was on YouTube at a very, again, like timing is such an important part of everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I started right when video essays were blowing up and kind of becoming a thing and right before people mm. got fatigued with them okay so it was like right at the end of the first wave um so yeah so i youtube was happened to be the place to be for that thing at that time and the channel blew up enough and i could have patrons and all this stuff that was paying my bills and allowed me to keep doing it but it it was mm. it's also one of those things you know when people ask like how do you do this thing how do you yeah. recreate it again it's like luck is a big part of it like that that what timing is, like thing what is lu- oh, luck with timing okay i can see that yeah yeah. yeah 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 sure but also like i realized that i had this very unique set of skills where you know i i loved film and analyzing film and spent so much time doing that and talking about that mm-hmm. with friends but i'd also spent all these years editing soundworks videos like i knew yeah. how to take footage from studios and movie footage right. and combine it with interviews or narration and create these things and so it was this kind of magic moment where i happened to have all these skills that all plugged in very nicely to this thing and again that's why i say i feel like i wouldn't be here Mm. without this the crazy training ground that Uh, was soundworks i I don't know i also don't know where i would be because i feel like the the soundworks collection thing was answering something that didn't exist it was like this doesn't exist in the world. I have to create this. I've never created anything before. I based Soundworks Collection off of uh, the Lexus video series that we did, mm-hmm. which was just profiles on people. Mm-hmm. I, hadn't, I had never really had any experience before then. So then I think I, look, I think about the Soundworks Collection, and I think it gave me an appreciation for um, um, like a, a niche is a great way to describe a bunch of people who like a specific thing mm-hmm. and that doesn't have to mean a small group of people because mm-hmm. like I, I then I then realized like I've, as I've traveled outside of the US and I meet people and I'm like oh the world is not just 
Hollywood. It's not just uh, this one thing. It's not just video games. It's not just composers. It's it's so many things. And like I, that's why I'm so excited to like continue doing Soundworks Collection. Like I will continue doing Soundworks Collection in some way, shape, or form because in my mind, it's like I just love talking with people about these types of things. So I don't really feel like it needs to have an an end. Mm-hmm. There's no like I guess. There was a period when I was doing a bunch of videos. There was a period when I was, I've been doing a bunch of podcasts. There's a period when I get sidetracked and I come back and I'm like, oh, wait, this thing is still here. <laughs> I should probably like feed it. It needs to go for a walk. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and that's that's the thing. Like I, it's only been um, sustainable for 10 years because it never became a job. It just was always treated as this thing that was a moonlighting kind of fun um, opportunity that like when I get an email and I, I get emails like every day and they're not all great things which is fine they don't have to be but like people there's a there's a need for these stories to get out and like there's people doing amazing work around the world and and you know if i I think if we don't take the time to kind of acknowledge that work that's going on it's too bad because then like these things we just kind of wrap it up and move on to the next thing and i think that's what i wanted to kind of like put the pause button on and like kind of capture that moment in time and then be like this thing is actually really cool and I think you should know everything about it <laughs> and here's my spin on it. And, I, and that, I think that's how I've continued to see Soundworks Collection. Like, you know, I, I see, I, they're not even trolls. They're like things that I'm totally aware of, which is like, hey, this podcast isn't mixed that well or like this video that channel used to have on Roku like doesn't work anymore. I'm like, ah, yeah, you're right. I like, I should, uh, I, sh- I, I should, do the best. I mean, I'm doing the best I can. I want, basically, what mm-hmm. I'm saying is like, I'm not precious about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want, I don't want it to become this thing where it's like, it has to be the certain way, or I shouldn't do it. Yeah. And you again, know? I think that's that's smart and that that flexibility thing again, because I think that's one of the things I tried to do with lessons from a screenplay is set the quality bar very high from yeah. the beginning, but that takes a toll, and that means that like, there's one video a month maybe month and a half and it's exhausting and i need breaks from it and so i I think the the best way to do a thing is the way that'll let you do it yeah and it doesn't have to look like any one thing right i think you can apply that to any type of project there's no magic formula it's a it's a combination of things of also like it's really hard if you have if you're relying on that thing to make money right that's where it gets you can't those things don't align yeah money is frustrating. <laughs> and it just threw out some stats like it, it i was just so happy when you started doing lessons from a screenplay because since you started in 2016 just to toot your horn <laughs> 39 million views 1.14 million subscribers i don't know I, I, yeah, yeah. It's no like, words. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. Right. It's yeah. it's a lot of people. But it, it's, yeah. I think, like you were just saying, I think the goal is go out, find things you like, highlight the awesome work that other people have done, be like, this thing is awesome, and then be generous with it and be like, mm. I think it's cool and I want to share it with you so you can think it's cool too. And isn't this thing we both love cool? That's a great way to wrap it up. Um, Mike, thanks so much for reminiscing on things that 
I did not forget about, but <laughs> were buried deep in the archives <laughs> of the hard of the brain hard drive. Yeah, it was my pleasure. It's so many, so many memories. And if you made it this far, congratulations! You you've unlocked the longest conversation <laughs> podcast that didn't talk about uh, sound. Sound. <laughs> I'm really I'm I'm really thankful for all the listeners, for all the people that continue to support Soundworks Collection. You know, I am no stranger uh, to people when they want to reach out and tell me about the projects. You can send me an email at info at soundworkscollection.com. Go to the website. Um, just continue to keep in touch with me. Let me know how I can help tell your story. And I'm just like, yeah, I'm so excited for the next 10 years because, oh boy, when we do the 20 year anniversary, it's oh, going to be fun. I'm, I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited thinking about that. <laughs>